Good morning and welcome to the Unitarian Church of Edmonton. My name is Karen Mills and together with Gordon Ritchie, we have the double pleasure of being the service leaders and co-conductors of Coriolis who are looking beautiful in their spring blues and greens. It's like our own little blooming garden. We hope that you feel very welcome here today. The Unitarian Church of Edmonton is a liberal, multi-generational religious community. We celebrate a rich mosaic of free-thinking, spiritually questing individuals joined in common support and action. We welcome diversity, including diversity of beliefs, from divine believers to humanists, from pagans to atheists and agnostics. We believe in the compassion of the human heart, the warmth of community, the pursuit of justice, and the search for meaning in our lives. We gather with gratitude this morning on Treaty 6 territory, shared by many nations. A treaty is an inheritance, a responsibility, and a relationship. May we be good neighbors to one another, good stewards to our planet, and good ancestors to our children. If you're new here, we invite you to stay for coffee after. There, this is a bit of an unusual uh, scenario that you see in the church, so we're Winding down the garage sale, we'll have the annual general meeting right after. There will be a massive reshuffling of chairs and a setting out of lunch. So if you are new, please know this chaos is not typical. We have different chaos every week. And so as we begin our special hour together, I would invite you to silence anything that might beep or tweet or squawk or ring so that we can all enjoy the music and our sacred time together. And with that, we'll begin our service with a prelude. Thank you. 
Our opening words are by Maureen Kilaran. In these hard times, let us look first to the response of love. In the midst of challenge, may our chalice flame bear witness to the inherent worth and dignity of every person. In the midst of uncertainty, may our chalice be a beacon of encouragement that our values may guide our choices. Let us first look to the response of love. And I would like to invite Jan to come forward and light our chalice this morning. May this flame go up and remind us that our faith is good. Every one of us can bring love to the world. May this chalice burn with clear flame as a symbol of our path. Every one of us can have joy, peace, and harmony in our hearts. May, through this flame, the wisdom of ages speak to us and stay in us. Every one of us can be a blessing to the world. And, right on cue, I would like to invite the youth to light their chalice. And to sing them out to their classes, let us join in hymn number 360. Here we have gathered hymn number 360. We'll sing verses 1 and 2. Yeah. 
Well, this month's theme is curiosity. That's a topic that could have gone in all sorts of directions. And in fact, when I started thinking about the many directions, I just kind of kept going all over the place and was having a hard time deciding. So in a fit of unusual democracy in the choir, I said, has anybody got any ideas? What do you think? Could we brainstorm together? Well, this is a very, very creative group, and let me tell you, this service could have gone a lot of different ways. But what we arrived at was that curiosity might just be another word for questioning. That really, everything that we're curious about starts out as a question. And that every change that people try to make in the world starts with a question. Why are things the way they are? How can we make this better? What should I do next? So how can we question our way to a better world? Well, questions are powerful. They can motivate. They can create clarity. Researchers and PhD students will tell you that getting the right question is half the battle and sometimes the toughest part of their work. Good managers and good coaches will tell you that it's through good questions that you can inspire people, motivate them, expand their vision, and enable them to contribute. But I think contrary to the old saying that there are no bad questions, there are lots of bad questions. Or more specifically, there are bad ways to ask questions. There are several ways that a question can damage trust, erode relationships, diminish confidence. Questions like, don't you know any better? Or why would you do that that way? Do not build. They belittle people. They put them on the defensive and they shut down any real chance of dialogue or relationship. So questions can come from a place of curiosity or judgment. And with every question that we ask, we therefore have the opportunity to build up or tear down. We can inspire and learn from the person that we're asking or we can dishearten and demean them. The first line of our prelude asked, do you remember on the playground making friends and picking teams? For some, that question might evoke happy memories. For others, it could trigger feelings of isolation or rejection. It's the same question, so why the different responses? Well, I think it has to do with the questions being asked as the picking was done. Think of how different the thought process and probably the outcome would be if when picking a team member, you ask yourself, who needs to be valued and feel included today, rather than who can help me win? It may be that the same person is the answer in both questions, but the frame of reference is completely different. So if we want to question our way to a better world, how do we ask more questions that inspire people, build them up, and fewer questions that diminish and tear people down? Please join in a questioning song, number 1053. How could anyone ever tell you? Amen. 
Would you join with me in a responsive reading found in the back of your hymn book? Number 650. Words by Robert T. Weston. I'll read the regular font and invite you to read the italicized. Number 650. Cherish your doubts, for doubt is the attendant of truth. Doubt is the key to the door of knowledge. It is the servant of discovery. A belief which may not be questioned, binds us to error, for there is incompleteness and imperfection in every belief. Doubt is the touchstone of truth. It is an acid which eats away the false. Let no one fear for the truth, that doubt may consume it, for doubt is a testing of belief. The truth stands boldly and unafraid. It is not shaken by the testing for truth, if it is truth, arises from each testing stronger, more secure. Those that with silence doubt are filled with fear. Their houses are built on shifting sands. But those who fear not doubt and know its use are founded on rock. They shall walk in the light of growing knowledge. The work of their hands shall endure. Therefore, let us not fear doubt, but let us rejoice in its help. Our community is entirely self-governing and self-supporting. One of the privileges of our free church tradition is to provide all of the financial support for our many ministries from among ourselves. Generosity, therefore, is one of the spiritual values we recognize as central to our personal and institutional well-being. In addition to supporting our church community, we also make a monthly commitment beyond our walls. One half of the unidentified cash that is received is given to an outside organization. Some are local, some national, some international. For this month, we will be supporting, yes, youth empowerment and support services. You are invited to participate in the celebration of giving as the Ezra's accept our offering. Before they're ready. 
Let us join in our response to receive the offering. Thank you for your offering of time and support and effort to this community. Are you a manager or a movement starter? Research has demonstrated for years that high expectations have the power to improve performance. The effect was first demonstrated in 1966 by Harvard researcher Robert Rosenthal. He told teachers which of their students about 20%, would be intellectual bloomers, saying those students' results on a test suggested that they would have surprising gains in IQ over the next eight months. The teachers were told, were not told, sorry, that the students on the list were actually selected at random. Eight months later, they retested the IQs of the randomly selected students and found that they had improved especially as compared to a control group. The teachers' high expectations for the students they were told were intellectual bloomers caused the teachers to change their own interactions with those students such that the students had more belief in themselves and their ability to improve and therefore actually did improve. The effect has been demonstrated many times since then with people in a wide variety of situations ranging from military recruits to corporate sales teams. When you set high expectations for people and then believe in them and support them to reach those expectations, they can soar far beyond what you and even they expect. And not only do people perform better when they feel trusted and supported, they also respect and trust their leaders more, too. I've seen this as a coxswain at every company where I've worked, but the most profound example of my experience was when I was a school teacher myself early in my career. When I was in college, I taught during the summers at a program called Summer Bridge, now part of a national collaborative called Breakthrough, which helps highly motivated, low-income middle school students get on the path to college. At Breakthrough, all of the teachers are high school or college students themselves. Nevertheless, they're given full responsibility for curriculum development 
classroom teaching, and mentorship to the amazing young people in the program. I was only 17 when I started teaching there, and to be entrusted with so much responsibility at such a young age was incredibly empowering. Wanting to deserve that trust made me work even harder, I threw everything I had into being the best teacher and mentor I could be, and to learning as much as I could from the people around me. Most of the students in this program were going to be the first in their families to go to college, and they didn't always have an easy road to get there. Many of them lived in areas ripe with gang violence. Often they were being raised by grandparents or single parents or by parents who didn't speak English. Many had to care for younger siblings at home or work to support their families. Despite all that, or perhaps because of it, they were incredibly motivated, motivated enough to fill out a long and very challenging application with essays and teacher recommendations, which if they were successful and accepted to the program, would require them to spend their entire summer in school instead of thinking about relaxing. They were preparing for six weeks of full-day classes followed by two hours of homework each night. And they were excited about it. It was the first environment they had been a part of where it was cool to be smart, where they could bond with other kids who loved learning, and where they could connect with role models who were just a few years ahead of them, showing them that the journey they wanted to take was possible. The magic of breakthrough is the opportunity for true empowerment. The organization and the leadership set high expectations for both the students and the teachers in terms of the outcomes they believe can be achieved. And because those high expectations are made clear and the support to reach them is there, people feel trusted and almost always reach or exceed them. This is true for the breakthrough middle school students over 90% of whom go on to graduate from four-year colleges. And it is true of the student teachers, more than 70% of whom go on to careers in education. It was also true for me. I went on to teach high school and to found my own breakthrough program in Pittsburgh, which is still running 25 years later and has helped thousands of young people become first-generation college graduates. This is another reason why movements are so powerful. When strong enough, they can continue even after the original leader departs. Other people from within the movement can pick up the torch and keep running. I'm going to continue on that theme because I work at Edmonton Public Schools in administration, and so I get to hang out with a lot of very cool teachers every day who are always looking for ways to make sure that every student can be successful. And there's something that's been troubling in education in Canada and in many other countries for years, and that's what's called the achievement gap. And that's the gap uh, that we see in uh, achievement between Indigenous and non-Indigenous students on standardized tests that come through. And there are lots and lots of factors that have contributed to undermine the educational opportunities and outcomes of Indigenous children. But as a result, the scores on standardized tests and their high school completion rates are often significantly lower than their non-Indigenous peers. So we're always on the lookout for ways to close that gap and to make teaching better for every student. 
So two years ago, we learned about a study called Promising Practices in Supporting Success for Indigenous Students. It's a very lofty title. Uh, the study looked at four provinces and two territories in Canada, as well as practices in New Zealand and Australia. And it found that there are six key levers, key practices, that um, improve the outcomes of disadvantaged students. And by the way, they found that those same six things actually improve outcomes for every student, which should be no surprise. So in two of the levers, leadership and high-quality teaching, the report stresses that high expectations are essential to raising achievement. The report explained that leaders who get positive results have clear goals, they create alignment between those goals and actions, they always have high expectations, and they provide the, pro uh, the positive and effective environments or the right supports for students. The report also emphasized that teachers' expectations of students' capability and success are critical to whether students progress well or not, and that high expectations of the teachers ensures more effective teaching and learning for students. So the expectations have to go both ways. So just like the reading that Adrienne shared, when you set high expectations for people and then believe in them and support them, they can soar far beyond what you and even they expect. I love three things about that idea and those readings. First, it says that we have to dream big, really big. All of us, I think, have experienced times where we or other people surpassed what we ever thought was possible. And it makes me wonder how often we are our own biggest limiters. I think too often we set our expectations too low because of our assumptions and our biases before we even try, before we even give something a chance. And I think if we stop and think about how many things seemed impossible the first time they were mentioned and then are now part of everyday lives, uh, it becomes really easy to see that assumptions and biases are not really good tools when we're trying to question our way to a better world. As I read the other day, don't be put off by people who know what is not possible. Do what needs to be done and check to see if it was impossible only after you've finished. <laughs> the second thing that I really love about that reading is that it explicitly says that people need support to reach the goals and the visions and the expectations that you've set. That it's not fair to set some lofty vision and then walk away. I think engaging people with that tangible vision and then helping them figure out the steps to get there is really key to making anything impossible become possible. And there is a quote that I really, really like. It's by the author of The Little Prince, Antoine de Saint-Exupéry, who said, if you want to build a ship, don't drum up people to gather wood, divide the work, and then give orders. Instead, Teach them to yearn for the vast and endless sea. To me, that's so beautiful, and it so captures how we're all more motivated by a grand vision and something that seems just beyond our reach but tangible enough to motivate rather than go get the wood. The third thing, and I think the most inspiring thing about the reading, is the point that it confirms that the influence and achievement that comes from meeting high expectations 
outlasts the student and the teacher. That there's a ripple effect that happens that reaches far beyond that initial pairing or that initial environment and it can create a whole movement. So as we question our way to a better world, what expectations should we set? How big should our dreams be? And how do we provide the support to help people reach that vision? Let's think about that as we sing hymn number 121. This is an old, old universalist hymn. And boy, they were big visionaries. Um, and this hymn comes from a time when they were feeling like the world set out in this hymn was really possible. And I keep hoping I will get to that point where I can agree with them. Oh. Uh -huh. 
Every week we take time to mark cares and concerns, milestones and memories, special parts of what makes this a beloved community. So I would invite you now, if you have uh, something on your heart that you would like to mark, to come forward and light a silent candle. Light the last candle to commemorate those cares, concerns, celebrations that the candles represent and for all those that are held in our hearts together. Have patience with everything that remains unresolved in your heart. Try to love the questions themselves, like locked rooms and like books written in a foreign language. Do not now look. Do not now look for the answers. They cannot now be given to you because you could not live them. It is a question of experiencing everything. At present, you need to live the question. Perhaps you will gradually, without even noticing it, find yourself experiencing the answer some distant day. Let us enter the silence together. questions about the world come from a place of despair. How did it get like this? 
How can there be so much injustice and inequity? How can people act like that? But are those the right questions to ask if we want to change the world? I think they're actually a deflecting mechanism. They're rhetorical. We don't really expect an answer to those questions. And they're also about the other. They create a sense that we're not all one interconnected community sharing one planet. It's that somehow there's an us and a them. And most importantly, these questions don't ask us to have any skin in the game. Instead of those woe is me questions, what if we just asked, how can I be more loving in all my thoughts and my actions? It seems like such a simple question, but think about what that would actually mean from moment to moment. It would require listening with the intent to understand in every conversation. It would mean suspending judgment, abandoning stereotypes, treating others as they want to be treated, and seeing their needs as important or even maybe more important than our own. It would mean letting go of grudges and grievances. It would mean seeking connection rather than control. It would mean actually loving ourselves, moving past our perceptions of our imperfections and our insecurities. And it would mean believing with every fiber of our being and showing through every one of our actions that every person has inherent worth and dignity and that we are but a small part of a vast interdependent web. How can I be more loving in all my thoughts and actions? It's hard for me to think of a question with higher expectations. Change when somebody else is doing it sounds so easy. Change when I have to do it is so hard. But I think about the difference that it could make. Even if we weren't perfect, and we would never be, just making the effort would change our attitudes, our outlooks, and our relationships. Trying to be more loving in all my thoughts and actions will be a lifelong challenge, but it's one I'm going to keep accepting. Because even as I fail, I know that it's getting me closer to the grand vision of the world that I want to see, that vast and endless sea that I'm yearning for. And I'm going to remember one thing as I go, that sometimes just having the question is enough. Remaining curious and engaged lets me be open to the new and to the other in the world. And I know that it's folly to think that I will ever have all the answers, but I hope I will never find myself in a place where I don't have any questions. So whatever our questions, may we search for the answers together in love and community. Amen and blessed be. Let's sing hymn number 354. Yeah.
words as closing words because I think as we go out into the world questioning and seeking and searching they still apply in these hard times let us look first to the response of love 
In the midst of challenge, may our chalice flame bear witness to the inherent worth and dignity of every human being. In the midst of uncertainty, may our chalice be a beacon of encouragement that our values may guide our choices. Let us look first to the response of love. I'm going to end with a prelude, and then I'd invite you to stay for announcements, and then chaos. Justice roll down. Love that cast.